Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian. We're going to be taking your calls and questions all throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD. Also taking your emails, radio at agphd.com, or you can find us on Twitter, AgPhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking a little bit about insects and soybeans on today's show and, and also answering your agronomic questions. We're going to focus a little bit of our time on soybean aphids, and uh, this is a problem that we really didn't have to face uh, when we were younger, Brian. It's been an issue the last 10 to 15 years. Here. Yeah, about 15 years, about 15 years. And, you know, the big thing that I tell people is the soybean aphid threshold is not 250, okay? It's an economic threshold, and economic thresholds vary depending on the economics. So there's no way that a threshold can stay exactly the same for 15 years. That's that's impossible. So anyway, the, what's the right threshold? I don't know. You've got to figure that out yourself on our farm. I'll spray, I'll, I'll have our guys spray between 10 and 50 aphids, something like that, depending on the stage. The earlier you are, the fewer aphids it takes to justify it. The other thing is cost is super cheap right now. If you're already out there uh, spraying, then you're going to want to uh, throw insecticide in right with something else and save a trip. Okay, so then your cost is literally two bucks an acre. The biggest issue lately has been aphid resistance in North Dakota and Minnesota. Haven't seen it yet in South Dakota. Probably will. There is a new product out called Safina. Costs about six bucks an acre as opposed to two bucks for the pyrethroids. The Safina is great in terms of uh, in terms of stopping aphids, but that's about it. It doesn't kill most of the beneficial insects, so I love that part. But yeah, when you start talking about um, all I can control is aphids, and it costs more money, you know, a lot of farmers go, well, I don't know if I want to do that. So. If your pyrethroid isn't working, then you got to switch to Lorsban if you still want to kill a whole bunch of other insects. And Lorsban costs roughly four bucks an acre, so it's not too bad. All right, well, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag here in uh, in just a second. Uh, before we do, I was just going to say, Darren, I, I think a lot of guys now are getting really excited because the crop prices are going up. The weather is starting to turn dry. I just got a text from a guy in North Dakota, 93 degrees up by Grand Forks today. So things are turning around quickly and it's been a really tough year so far, but hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get some things straightened out here. All right, let's go to the mailbag. Get one from Jay in Illinois, and he said, uh, looks like we're going to be going to some cover crop on at least a portion of the acres. Will oats and radishes work on a field that I've already sprayed dicamba and a group 15 on? I'm having an issue looking at all the labels and, and finding the answers I need. Well, the dicamba is going to be fine, most likely. I mean, as long as you're spraying at least a week afterwards. Uh, or I should say planting that cover crop at least a week afterwards, and, and you will be. The group 15, yeah, that could ding the oats up a little bit. Am I super worried about it? No, but, you know, is it going to hurt the oats a little? Almost for sure it is. But, you know, it's just the way it goes. Here's the other thing. It's a cover crop. It's not your actual crop. If it was your actual crop, well, now you got a lot of dollars at stake that you're worried about losing. So people ask all the time about rotation into cover crops. It just never bothers me that much because who cares if we lose a little bit of our stand on cover crop? It's not your actual crop. 
All right, uh, next one here. I got one from Hans in Minnesota, and he said, um, Hi, I've got a field where there was sure start applied, and now I want to plant soybeans. Is it possible to plant soybeans after sure starts? This is kind of along the well, same I lines sure, as you I think. sure wouldn't. Let's get that stinger Absolutely in there. Absolutely not. No, that, those beans would be, be dead. Bad. Yep, the beans would be dead. So, no, you can't do that. Now, a group 15 surpass is in that sure start, okay? And surpass, if you're a month, month and a half after the surpass was applied, fine. But it's that stinger that's in there, and the stinger's going to last a long time. So, yeah, there is there is no way that I would do that. Uh, hey, Darren, we had one that came in just a a uh, couple minutes ago, and I wanted to get to that. Uh, did you have that pulled up, the most recent one here? Uh, Just a weed ID one? Uh, no. Dang, I got I to I, – I literally I, – I responded, and then I copied you, copied you in on that too, and I was just going to see what that uh, – if I had that here. Well, anyway. Let, me, let me just jump into yep, another you go one ahead. here. This one yep. comes from Mark, and he said – I. I'm going to plant soybeans and sunflowers, and I'm just curious, what could I spray that would work for both crops? I need to, uh, I need to put. Wait, I didn't hear that. What crops? All right, I planted my soybeans and sunflowers, and being able to come across the top of them, and oh, I'm sorry, it's a three-way question. Ha. Huh. Okay, soybeans, sunflowers, Milo. Are there pre-emerge programs that could go on all three so you didn't have to switch? You could just keep spraying. Nope. Yeah, there really isn't, Mark. And and he said, is there a combination of Spartan and Roundup I can use in front of Milo? No. Nope. No. You want to nope. use concept-treated Milo, there's no question about that. But, uh, it, yeah, I mean, for your Milo and uh, soybeans, you could use a Group 15 then if you wanted to. But... Yeah, there really isn't. I mean, if you had no. soybeans and sunflowers and you were going to till in, uh, you know, a sunland or, or yeah. that so, type of nope. product, that would nope. work. There's, but, yeah, there's no. just nothing you can do. Okay, here's the next one. This is the one I was uh, trying to say, Darren. This one is from Josh in Nebraska, and he said, um, hey, I'm working with a farmer who put down five ounces of Verdict, five ounces of Outlook, and 16 ounces of Power Max, and you can see right to the line where he sprayed because the beans look terrible where he sprayed, and the final stand is fifty to 90,000 when he's seeded at 155,000. So is it group 15 damage or what's going on? All right. Uh, yes, Josh, it is partly group 15 damage, I can almost guarantee you. We are not big fans of putting Sharpen in front of soybeans. Now, granted, it's a labeled rate at that verdict at five ounces. That gives you one ounces of Sharpen. It still makes me nervous, though, because we know that higher rates will kill beans. So I, I don't ever recommend Sharpen in front of soybeans. I'm not saying the verdict did it, but I am saying the Group 15 in uh, Outlook, between the verdict and the extra Outlook you added, probably did hurt your, hurt, hurt your stand a little bit. Hopefully it comes out of it. Hopefully it looks a little better. Hopefully a few more of those plants come up. We'll just You'll just have to see in time. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. Are you frustrated with white mold showing up year after year in your soybeans? If you have tried fungicide applications and are still losing yield to white mold, now is the time to ask your seed dealer about Heads Up Plant Protectant. Heads Up is the first EPA-registered seed treatment for the prevention of white mold in soybeans and pulse crops. The first line of defense on your farm against white mold now starts with the right seed treatment package. Locate a Heads Up dealer near you by visiting headsupst.com today. 
In order to be the best farmer you can be, you've got to have a grain marketing plan. But what do you do when you're too busy out in the fields trying to maximize yield? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are always busy learning more about how to make our farm more successful. That's why we use Grain PhD to learn more about grain marketing and to work with our Grain PhD risk expert to create a complete grain marketing strategy. Visit grainphd.com to learn more about a free consultation for your operation. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid can help you increase yields and crop quality. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. In one of the more anticipated segments here on Ag PhD Radio, we've got Scott Harms with Grain PhD on to talk about what's going on with the market. Scott, we finally have some good news. This is fun. Oh, what a difference two and a half weeks makes for sure. I mean, it's good news is on the prices. Unfortunately, not so some uh, good a news trying to get the crop in the ground, but uh, uh, but at least uh, the market is p- finally paying attention to some of those concerns that are out there. Yeah, Brian just wanted to jump on and gloat because he was predicting this a little bit and. Uh, now we're not going to we're not going to have that at all today. But I guess I'm just curious. What's your take on the current market environment and and what may be next? Well, uh, yeah, it's been crazy um, and just a huge transition over the last two and a half weeks. Um, you know, with uh, the planning delays, it just uh, at this point got uh, beyond anyone's expectations. Uh, markets, uh, corn markets rallied 90 cents, I think, off its lows. Beans and wheat have rallied a dollar off their lows. Now, part of that is short covering by the funds in corn. Uh, but uh, it's also we are in a price discovery period, and we're trying to figure out what the value of this crop is. And we're at the point where really no one knows, and anyone that uh, uh, tells you they know, they, they're not uh, being truthful with you because we are in uncharted territory. We will follow along with these analysts and and these um, economists, as they move through the process, and you can say, oh, well, X, up to X amount of date, we're going to have yield drag to, the, to this number. Uh, we'll have a loss of acres of this. We have historical numbers, historical data to follow along with and help to determine you know, what the value of the crop may be. But now we are beyond that. The 2019 is going to go down as a historical year, no question. And uh, we're we're setting new standards. So as far as trying to figure out where this market is going to go, that is up to anyone's guess. But we will find a price level at some point in which we've factored in at least this part of the equation, which is the reduction of acres due to this planting, the the poor weather in the spring, as as well as some kind of yield drag, whether that's uh, a three bushel an acre, five bushel an acre, eight bushel an acre, whatever it is on corn that uh, whatever that number is, we'll, f- we'll settle on a price level 
uh, in which uh, that is factored in. And then we'll wait and see what the next feature is going to be, likely going to be crop conditions or pollination or then ultimately this year uh, frost concerns uh, of an early frost are going to come into the equation. But you're going to hear a lot of numbers kicked around. Uh, don't get angry. I mean, there, I see a lot of comments from people that, you know, so-and-so says something, and, and it's and they're working with an uncharted territory as well. So we're all going through this process together. But keep in mind that once the emotion of the market has run its course, there will be a correction. We don't know from what number that will be, but markets are, markets are driven by emotion. And uh, even though we don't know what we're going to produce, uh, I think it's important to keep an eye on the ball on the marketing side of it and be trickling in some sales uh, just in case uh, things turn a little more favorable. Well, we've sure we've sure been taking advantage of these uh, weather conditions and cleaning out some bins, hauling grain in, buying it back on the board. Though we still still think uh, it could go a little better. And you know, the new crop though, it's a it's a whole different deal because we don't know exactly what we're going to get in the ground or or what it's going to look like afterwards or what kind of yield it's going to have. Uh, so it's pretty hard to pull a trigger on the sales there. But you know, those prices are are better too. What what do we do with those kinds of decisions? Yeah, I mean, marketing more this year more than anything else is is not going to be a team game. I mean, this is going to break down to your own individual situation. We have, you know, there's managed programs that are out there, and they all serve a purpose. And there's analysts that provide blanket recommendations, uh, and they again serve a, a nice purpose, especially in a norm, more normal weather year where everyone's going to have some level of production. Uh, but this year, everybody's going to have to break down their own situation. Um, but if you do anticipate uh, getting uh, some uh, getting crop in the ground, these are attractive price levels. One thing that hasn't changed about 2019, we call it a historic year, but one thing that's no different about 2019 than any other year is that the best prices are going to be presented when you don't know what you're going to produce. So there is there does have to be a little bit of a leap of faith. I don't know what that – I can't tell people what – it is and what their comfort level is. And we've been spending uh, part of uh, the last couple weeks people unwinding positions and because they got uh, a little bit too oversold or uh, they did some marketing and, and um, on uh, at lower price levels and want to reopen that upside. So uh, everyone's doing, a, a, you know, something different. But, um, you know, this is, not a, this is not a team sport. Uh, this is an individual thing. And uh, you have to sit down, find yourself, um, someone to work with that can work through your operation and not just give blanket recommendations. Well, here's what we're telling people, you know, because it is, it's an individual game this year more than any other time, because, uh, you know, you, you're going to have, um, to make decisions on acres that you may or may not plant. And you may have to adjust that, uh, in two weeks if you don't get them in. One of the big things uh, with Grain PhD is to try to help farmers improve their overall marketing and get more comfortable utilizing tools like the futures market if they choose to. But one of the apprehensions we see, Scott, is just a concern of getting margin calls. So can you talk about how can a farmer utilize these markets without exposure to margin calls? Yeah, you know, that's, a, that's always been a big issue. Um, you know, margin calls are uh, when you take a position in the market that has unlimited risk. So if you take a futures position or if you sell options, those strategies carry unlimited risk. And you're going to have to mark to the market every day. So if the market's up 10 cents, uh, your SEM, the, the firm that you're going through, is going to ask you for 
um, 10 cents of, mar of money to help margin that. And you're also going to have a performance margin you're going to put on when you initially, when you initiate that position. So as the markets go up, the value of your crop, either in the field or in the bin, is going higher. But your position at, the, at the, whatever exchange, at, at the exchange is going against you, and you're going to have to uh, send in margin money. To avoid those, you can do that by just buying put options. Those are the tools that you use to avoid those products. You're basically buying an insurance policy. They're not as efficient um, in protection as a future position might, might be. But again, they don't carry the same amount of risk. So you're basically putting your money up front. You're, in a way, you're putting your margin money up front. If you spend 15 cents or $750 to to protect 500, excuse me, 5,000 bushels of corn, that's all you're going to have to send in. If the market rallies 50 cents, you don't have to send any more money in. Uh, but you don't get the same kind of protection. And uh, the way we work our program, a work a program like that, you'd, again, would be an individualized program. But you would treat it just like you would treat any other futures. Um, program or cash program where you would identify to your targets above the market where you think you need to be making sales or scaling into sales. But instead of selling a futures contract, selling a cash contract, we'll just start working into some kind of option uh, position. And, you know, there's so many different alternatives when it comes to options as far as the time frame you want to cover. So there's very few managed programs that just do options only because it really is an individualized thing. If you don't, if you just want to protect your bushels, you're going to make some sales, say the middle of July or into July as part of your program in the cash market. You want to just protect price through that period. You can save some money by buying a shorter term option as opposed to stepping out all the way and buying a December option or a March option. So there's so many alternatives. It has to be an individualized program, but that's the way to go. If you just buy puts, you don't have to worry about margin calls. No one's going to come beating down your door for margin money. You just you have that protection in place, and it's kind of a set it and forget it kind of hedge position. You can you can alter those, move those up as you need to as the market goes up. But uh, that's the way you would avoid margin calls. Yeah, it's kind of nice too. Just thinking about it as uh, we're going to be scrambling trying to do stuff in the field. We aren't getting a call every other day about this or that. We can just get a position and and ride it if we want to. Uh, Scott, uh, as you were talking about, it's going to be a wild summer in in grain production and certainly grain marketing. Uh, can you talk just a little bit about? We got about uh, thirty seconds here about grain PhD and how uh, how farmers can reach out to you and your team. Yeah, Green PhD comprehensive program. Um, it's mainly driven toward education, trying to get people um, using tools that they haven't used before to become better marketers. You have access to free GrainBridge software to help to organize your costs and identify some targets. Um, there's all kinds of educational material on there, but uh, um, a free consultation is also available. You can reach out to Green PhD dot com and sign up or you can give us a call at eight four four grain zero one. You know, we're a little busier now than we uh were a couple weeks ago, but we Absolutely. sure love taking calls uh, and uh you know hearing what's going on out there and answering questions. Scott Harms with Grain PhD. Scott, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. All right, take care. Yeah, I bet they are pretty busy right now. Uh, I know it was it seems like the market was doing nothing for a long time and uh and all of a sudden it's doing a lot. All right, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Efficiency is important to the bottom line, but your nitrogen program can be a challenge, as rainfall can leach nitrogen needed for a profitable crop right out of the root zone. 
Applied with UAN fertilizer, Proximus from Actigrow is proven to reduce nitrate leaching up to 69% and increase nitrogen use efficiency. To improve your yield, ask your ag retailer for Proximus with your next UAN purchase or visit StopLeaching.com. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. Every season, you try to raise the bar to achieve your best corn yield ever. But disease can stand in the way, like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, anthracnose leaf blight, and southern rust. New Delaro fungicide can stop them. Two different modes of action work on the diseases for the entire spray interval, delivering best-in-class dual mode of action residual efficacy for extended performance. It's the help you need for personal best yields. Keep raising the bar with Delaro from Bayer. Always read and follow label instructions. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. This year, you already made one smart choice by planting glufosinate-tolerant seeds. Now make another, Interline Herbicide from UPL. Interline controls tough, resistant weeds like pigweed, water hemp, mare's tail, and ragweed in glufosinate cropping systems. And with our new manufacturing facility, there'll be plenty of Interline to go around. So play it smart. Choose cost-effective Interline Herbicide. To learn more, contact your UPL distributor or sales representative. Always read and follow label directions. Increase your productivity with Hypro's Dual React Control System. The dual nozzle body design allows you to drive at the speed you want while maintaining the rate and droplet size you need. Hypro, helping you spray better. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? The Soil Warrior can reduce trips across the field, optimize nutrient placement, and improve soil health. So you can lower production costs without losing yield. See what makes the Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and uh, we're talking a little grain markets there because we actually have some good news to share, and that's awesome. Uh, but we do want to get a focus going here on soybeans and insects. And, you know, 2019's been an interesting year so far, and it seems like if there's potentially less acres of soybeans out there, well, those bugs could be even a little more fierce fighting for the soybean acres there are. We've got our friend Bob Hooten on with FMC. Bob, thanks for joining us today. Hey, appreciate being here. And you are correct. <laughs> the fewer soybean acres, that's uh, more uh, places for the current bugs to feed. Hey, uh, talk about right now. I, I just had a grower this morning that I was talking to that said, hey, there's some bean leaf beetles out there already, and there are no beans. So he said, what are they going to eat in the meantime? And I said, anything that's green would be my guess. But uh, what what about bean leaf beetles early season like this? 
Well, what they'll do is they'll feed on some of the perennial stuff that's out there. You've got a lot of clover. You've got a lot of uh, alfalfa, things like that. So bugs are not going to uh, die from starvation. They're going to go find other sources. And then when you plant the crop that you, you know, that they prefer, they'll move into that crop pretty readily. Um, just last week, couple, well, a couple weeks ago, I started seeing stink bugs up here. We've had all of these storms tracking from Texas. So everything that's down in Texas and that southern area is blowing stuff up here. And then it's feeding on what it can. These stink bugs probably fed on some small corn that was only an inch tall. And then they left those cornfields. So if you have little corn plants that come up and look really odd, it wasn't your herbicide. It was probably a stink bug that fed on them very early. Yeah, it's that is interesting. You're right. When when we get storms, a lot of times we have things moving. We're already seeing it on a lot of the wheat diseases and uh, insects uh, certainly will be impacted as well. Uh, soybean aphids. When, when we're thinking about aphids, this is one that we've really only been fighting for probably 15 years now. But it, it can certainly be a big problem, especially later on in the season. Do you expect the timing to get thrown off this year with soybean aphids just with how cool the spring has been in the upper Midwest? It may be slightly thrown off, but the problem is once it heats up, those growing degree days add up very quickly. Um, I think what's going to happen, your soybeans, since we can't get them in the ground and we're just getting them in the ground now, they'll be a lot smaller, so they're going to get hit harder uh, by the aphids. problem is I think if people wait for the aphids, they're going to lose 8, 10, 15 bushels from other insects that will have occurred prior to the aphids. A lot of times we get, like I said, stink bugs, we'll get bean leaf beetles, we'll get a lot of insects early, and people are planning to wait and pull the trigger on the aphids, and they lose a lot of yield because they should have treated earlier. You know, I should have probably followed up on this a minute ago when you mentioned the stink bugs that you're already starting to see. This is a problem that's really growing in certain areas of our country and, and soybean growing areas too. How big a problem are stink bugs further south? Uh, they're well, actually they're probably the number one pest on soybeans. Period across the whole country. Now the South has figured out, you know, because of cotton, they figured out how to manage insects in soybeans, and they can spray two to three times for stink bugs in soybeans. Um, I always tell growers at harvest time if they're harvesting and see these uh, nymphs of stink bugs on the front of their combine, they've lost eight bushels. And that's pretty well documented with a lot of the trials that I've done the last several years. I sweep in the late June, early July time frame, and if I find two adults in 10 sweeps, I'll go ahead and take those adults out to keep them from laying eggs because you will wind up with a threshold at the end of the year, but nobody's going to spray beans toward the end of the year. They'll just feed on those pods and, and cause a lot of damage on your beans and your yield loss. Interesting. Yeah, this is one that, that uh, we haven't seen a lot of yet, but it's starting to get into our area. How about Japanese beetles? What what should we know about them? Oh, Japanese beetles are going to be severe this year. Uh, a couple of reasons. Number one, they spread like wildfire last year. They were all over. Um, they were catching them in the tens of thousands in the traps, where just a few hundred is supposed to be a threshold. And uh, they will have laid their eggs all over and those grubs will uh, feed on a lot of different crops. Um, they're going to be in the turf. They're going to be everywhere. With all this lush growth that we've got from all the water, there's going to be grubs just just like crazy. Um, my whole backyard is full of moles 
from the moles taking out all the grubs that are in my yard. But uh, they're going to be really bad. And um, we've got this that new soybean midge that everybody's been working on that uh, is in a very large area now around that Sioux City over in the Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, and uh, South Dakota. FMC's doing quite a bit of work trying to figure out the timing on that particular insect and when when's the best spray time to knock those adults out, or can we get a systemic product in there to take the maggots out? Yeah, it was pretty exciting last year to actually capture some, get some pictures of what those little adult flies look like. So now growers know what to be watching for a little bit other than just the after effects of having those little orange larvae feeding on the inside of your soybean stalks. Uh, how far away from a solution do you think we are? I know it takes a long time to discover new products and, and get products labeled, but are there some products out there that we already have that are showing promise? Well, in 2017, we were late into the season, but we had infestations occurring in some fields. And we took our uh, hero insecticide, which is got bifenthrin and a biphenyl pyrethroid in it. And uh, it just really, really, or cyanopyrethroid, excuse me, biphenyl and a cyano, it really knocks out the whole complex. And then we also, at the time, we have TopGuard EQ, and we put that on there for disease management. And we brought some of those fields back up into the 40 to 45 range. We didn't bring them all the way back up to 60 or 70, which we'd like to do. That's because our timing was off, and they'd already infested quite a bit of the fields. So we're working to try to actually bring those yields back up to closer to 75 bushels by timing the application better. And I, I think once the universities find out when those adult flies come out and when's the best time to nail them, Flies should be very simple to kill, so if we can kill the fly before they infest, that's the easiest way to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Getting something to move through the plant and have a high enough dose for when these little guys hit uh, is is a challenge for sure. You mentioned a couple times already when we we're talking about different bugs thresholds, and this is one I know my brother's always jumping all over everybody on of, well, these thresholds seem to stay the same, and shouldn't they change with economics a little bit? The thresholds, they do change a little bit with economics. If you have $5 beans, $10 beans, $15 beans, but um, and the price of the products are coming down a little bit, I kind of judge it by a bushel of beans. If you can protect your and protect a bushel of beans, you've more than paid for your product so that, you know, if you get two, three, four bushels, you have a real good return on investment. The other thing on thresholds, the thresholds are based on a single insect. And a lot of times, or single disease for that matter, a lot of times they do not take a look at the complex. Uh, bean leaf beetle, good example. Um, three uh, bean leaf beetle at one point in time was considered a threshold. Now it's kind of a half a beetle per sweep. Um, however, if they got bean pod monovirus, which bean pod monovirus is all across the Midwest, um, I don't know that there is a threshold. So um, when you add them all together, you know, you know, does it pay to put that insecticide in? I'm going to already make a fungicide treatment or I'm already going to make a foliar herbicide treatment. Should I put an insecticide in? And I tell people, grab a sweep net, sweep your beans, dump them into a little jar and see what all you've got in there. If you don't have anything, you don't need to put it in. But if you've got several different insects that are going to cause you a lot of problems, go ahead and put it in and take them out. 
And I think uh, the big thing that we talk about, too, we'd rather be on the side of being just a little bit too early than being too late, and we've already given up the yield because there's no real way to make that back up. Uh, But talking with Bob Hooten with FMC, great advice for us as always, Bob. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck here going into this season. All righty, you too. Yeah, that was a little scary. Bob said uh, stink bugs already blowing up, and I know last year for us this was kind of one of our first experiences with uh, stink bugs at a level where it was probably worth spraying and probably a little sooner than we did just because, hey, we hadn't really had that issue before. So it really encourage you getting out and scouting crops with the late planting season in a lot of parts of the country right now. As soon as those bugs come in, they're going to come in in full force. So you got to be prepared for that. We're going to talk a little more about soybean insects coming up right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Graze On Next herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Graze On Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit leavetheweedstoz.com to learn more about Graze On Next. Always read and follow label directions. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid can help you increase yields and crop quality. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Think about a quarter inch of rain. That's all it takes to activate Armazon Pro Herbicide in your corn and protect against weeds. Now think about a full inch of rain, the amount most other herbicides require for activation. How long will you have to wait to get that? The weeds hope you'll choose another herbicide. Your corn hopes you choose Armazon Pro Herbicide. Pick a winner. Talk to your BASF rep about Armazon Pro Herbicide today. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. With the success of the Case IH Dagger Quad Track and Magnum Road Track tractors, it's no secret why Case IH is the leader of the track. So it wasn't surprising when the competition started imitating us, because Case IH offered the first five-axle design to give you more power to the ground with less berming and compaction, all to help you be more productive. Still, we're flattered. In fact, if we weren't already red, 
we'd be blushing. To learn more, visit caseih.com slash tracks. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about insects in soybeans. And Bob Hooten with FMC was just on, and he brought up a really good point. And he started talking about bean pod model virus, and he was talking about thresholds for insects. And he said, boy, I don't even know if there's a threshold if bean pod model virus gets involved. I, I don't want to have any of that in my field. Uh, so we got Dr. Allison Robertson with us right now with Iowa State. Allison, can you comment on that bean pod model virus? Okay, so um, hi, thanks for having me on today. Um, bean pod model virus is a virus that is carried by the um, bean leaf beetle. And I'm sorry, I have another call coming in on my phone, and that's what the beeping is. Um, so bean pod model virus is a virus that's carried by the bean leaf beetle. And what happens is um, it, bean pod model virus causes a disease on soybeans. Um, it can affect the quality of the seed. Um, the seed can have a mottled appearance. It can also result in, in lower yields um, and poor germination of that seed. You know, when we think about that, a lot of times we see goofy-looking things out in the field, and most times farmers want to blame them on herbicides. Oh, it looks like a herbicide did something to my plant, but it could have actually been one of these diseases. When when we're looking at bean pod model virus, do we see that early in the season? Is it really a problem throughout the year that it could pop up at any point? Um, in my experience, it can pop up at any point. Um and you're right, it can look like a, a herbicide. And so that's why it's always good to not only ask questions, right? For example, was a herbicide applied or has a herbicide been applied nearby? But the other thing to do also would be to look at the pattern in the field. So a lot of times when we see um, plants that have virus diseases associated with them, they tend to be... Um, it's one plant or a few plants kind of scattered around the field, whereas with um, herbicides damage, you'd expect to see um, more of a pattern to it, right? Perhaps on the edge of the field, it's more severe, and as you move across the field, um, it gets less severe. Does you know, that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it definitely does. And, you know, I think about it, and, and for me, I'm concerned about my soybeans, but this can impact other legume crops too. And when you've got uh, bean leaf beetles as mobile as they are, I mean, they're moving from field to field pretty well. We can pass this around pretty quickly. Yes, you, we can pass it around pretty quickly. So, um, and especially if there's a, a lot of bean leaf beetles, right? Um at least here in Iowa, we're not seeing a lot of beetles um, just because of the really harsh winter that we had. So a lot of them didn't survive. Um, but, yeah, the more beetles you have, the, the more likely that virus is going to get spread. For, for growers who have been through this before, Allison, what I hear a lot is they say, man, if I've had this in the past and it hurt me for yield and seed quality, I want to try and get that first generation of bean leaf beetles out there so they don't lay eggs and I don't have more to deal with later on. Is that an effective strategy or do you still see more beetles blowing in or uh, how would you go about dealing with this? You know what, that's a great question. And as a 
pathologist, I do not have a very good understanding of how far those beneath beetles can travel. So, I mean, yes, you would want to control that overwintering population because they're going to be the source of inoculum. And as soon as that beetle bites the soybean plant, it can transmit the virus to that soybean plant. And then that soybean plant then becomes a source of the virus for other soybean plants in the area, right? So um, controlling that overwintering population, um, keeping their numbers down and preventing them from infecting soybeans that are, have been planted um, is one way to help manage the, manage the virus or at least reduce how much virus you see. All right, so we've already painted bean leaf beetles as bad guys out in the field. Are there other bugs that can be vectors for disease as well in soybeans? Yes, so there's a soybean aphid. The soybean aphid would carry um, soybean mosaic virus. Um, uh, and there are probably other aphids. Um, well, and then I'm also thinking, um, I'm not very good with my soybean viruses, but thrips. Um, can carry viruses that um, affects um, soybeans. Um, so, I mean, there's a number of insect pests that can vector certain viruses. Yes. Yeah, I think it's important. We, we think about the leaf feeding component with insects like bean leaf beetles a lot, but as they're doing that, they can definitely move disease around as well. And some of these links yes. have been proven, like you mentioned, uh, soybean aphid and soybean mosaic virus, and, and of course yes. the bean leaf beetle and bean pod model virus. But we, we really don't know all of them, and we really don't know entirely yeah. what's possible. But anytime we see an, an insect opening up a plant, my first thought, Allison, is if I'm going to spray an insecticide, it might be a time for me to put a fungicide on just to protect an infection. Is that a safe bet? Uh, what have you seen for uh, uh, profitability or return on that investment? So, I mean, we, Darren Mueller and I did a study probably 10 years ago now um, where we looked, where we compared a fungicide alone and a fungicide plus insecticide. And we did see, we did see a better yield response when we use the fungicide plus the insecticide. Um, and that wasn't necessarily associated with more disease or less disease, or it was just that almost that physiological yield response. So um, putting that insecticide in there will help with the yield response. But remember that that insecticide in there is going to kill off the beneficials. Um, and so sometimes we can see an increase in other pests. Um, a good example would be in dry years. It's hard to imagine one of those right now. <laughs> no, maybe maybe down the road, maybe in a couple of years. <laughs> but in dry years, right, you can kill off those beneficials, and then you can um, have um, spider mite um, infestations. So, you know, I mean... A lot of times, those of us at the land-grant universities will recommend that if you're going to spray an insecticide or even a fungicide, that um, there's a good reason why um, you're sp spraying it um, to man either manage a disease or to manage a pest. 
Yeah, the good thing about insects is we can go out with a sweep net, we can see what's out there, we can count them, and we can we can address it that way. With Yeah, you're right. With some of these disease issues, we really want to be out there before we have a disease, and it's, it's tricky because you, you've got to kind of guess, and you're never really sure how that's all going to play out. And, of course, Allison Robertson is thinking, what a great disease year we could have this year. It could be interesting walking plots and, and learning. So yeah. I'm glad somebody's excited about it <laughs> just a little <laughs> <laughs> well Allison thank you so much really appreciate you being on today and and uh, giving us some info on bean pod model virus and more you're very welcome thanks for having me you know, we're talking insects and soybeans today, and you know this is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. We've got just a few soybeans in in our farm. We've got uh, some of our listeners from around the country that are in the northern half of the country saying, wow, we got a ways to go here on beans, and we don't know how many acres of beans we really want to put in this year. Uh, I, I agree with what Bob Hooten had said earlier, too, that you know what, we're probably going to have smaller bean plants when the insects start hitting. And this year, uh, if you've got a smaller plant and they're they're chewing just as much leaf material as they would on a bigger plant, it could lead to a bigger impact. And I think this is one of those things that we're just going to have to stay on top of this year in terms of scouting and being really aggressive getting out there with insecticides when we see a problem starting to blow up on us. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we've got our phone lines open throughout the show today for your agronomic questions, or if you just want to talk to us about what's happening on your farm or, or where your crop is at right now, our phone lines again, 844-44-AG-PHD. We're also going to dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag right after this break. If you have a, a question for us, you can certainly email us. We've been getting some pictures in uh, for weed ID and other things today, which is fun. Our email address is radio at agphd.com. And finally, you can find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. I'm going to start with a question that came in on Twitter right after this break. Stay tuned. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Ultra Blazer! Kinda sounds like the name of a superhero, doesn't it? Well, to soybean growers it is, because Ultra Blazer from UPL controls the toughest weeds including pigweed, ragweed, and waterhemp. And you can make it part of your resistance management program on all trait-based beans, even dicamba tolerant. Plus, with Ultra Blazer, there are no plant-back concerns. Talk about superpowers! To learn more, contact your crop protection consultant or dealer. Always read and follow label directions. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. 
high electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Waterhemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean field, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty, which is where Jamie from Canada found us. Uh, he said, let's see, where is Jamie at? Is he Manitoba? I think I think he's in Manitoba. Uh, anyway, Jamie said, uh, what what weed is this? And he sent a picture and he said, uh, it seems to grow in the wet areas around the field margins. What can you do to control or eradicate it? Well, Jamie sent one of my least favorite weeds, scouring rush. And scouring rush is uh, basically it's a tall, um, a tall tube like stem with no leaves. And it's tough. It, and you're right. It does grow in the wet areas. It's a perennial. It's got a rhizome system running underneath the soil, so you're going to see it pop up all over the place. And the best thing you can do is improve your drainage. Now, I don't know if that's possible in all situations for you where you're at, but uh, for us, I know there's one field where we've got this as an issue, and we got some drain tile installed in there last fall. And this spring already, uh, we're seeing it... it uh, control the water table in that area and it's going to be a lot easier to compete against the scouring rush now in terms of herbicides we've had some issues trying to get this one under control and one of the products that that we've always used on scouring rush has been gramoxone it's a, a burn down product paraquat uh, it's going to be a quick burner but the challenge is you just can't stick much of it to the scouring rush so as we're trying to, to spray it on there, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a challenge. So getting the surfactant load right with uh, some oil with it uh, definitely helps. And then using a little lower spray volume is probably good too. Brian, you talk about Gramoxone and, uh, and the railroads. Can you tell your story? Yes, this goes back, oh, this is 30-plus years ago. It might even be more than that. And anyway, our dad was working with a railroad and they were trying to figure out what they could spray to kill scouring rush and they tried high rates of 2,4-D 
Roundup, Atrazine. They're trying all kinds of stuff. And anyway, they ended up going with Gramoxone. But it was kind of funny because, like, for my dad, he goes, well, who cares? You're the railroad, so you got a few weeds there, no big deal. And they said, no, here's the problem. With scouring rush, if there gets to be too much of it, our trains can't stop. So if you can't stop the train, that's a real issue. And that's why they had to get it under, under control, and Gramoxone was the only thing that did it. Since then, there have been people that have suggested to me, oh, use this product, use that product. There's nothing that works like Gramoxone. But, you know, again, what Darren said, it's a drainage issue. So if you just simply fix the drainage and you have great crop growing there all the time, it's usually going to choke out the scouring rush. Okay, now Jeff up in Michigan, uh, oh, and thanks for the question, Jamie, really appreciate that. Uh, Jeff up in Michigan has a very similar weed, field horsetail, so it looks a lot like scouring rush. Instead of just one single stem, though, uh, it kind of branches out just a little bit with similar similar kinds of uh, uh, tube-like structures, so it really doesn't have leaf tissue to it, and it seems to be kind of the same thing. Jeff said, uh, it ends up looking like a little Christmas tree. Uh, he said he got a decent burn with two quarts of glyphosate, AMS, some oil, and a pint of 240 ester with two gallons of water. But just wondering if we had anything else that we knew of that would work better. You know, I'd say the same thing. I, I don't know that the 24D really adds a whole lot for you, Jeff. At least in my experience, it hasn't. I'd probably try the Gramoxone instead. We've also... Uh, if you're going in front of soybeans, you definitely could use some Harmony GT. Uh, that that would be another uh, product that, that we've seen some results with. But, a, again, I don't think anything's perfect. The big thing is going to be just improving your drainage out there so that weed doesn't have a competitive advantage against your crop. All right, got a question or a series of questions here from Adam in north central Iowa. He said, I've heard you guys talk frequently about the benefits of strip tillage. However, I got some questions for you regarding some of the challenges. I'm wondering, do you have erosion issues down the bare strips on hillsides? Uh, for example, we commonly have B and C slopes that are not contoured or uh, Darren, hey, we already yeah, we already talked yep, we already talked about this a couple of days ago on the strip till question. Okay. okay. Right? Uh yep. Uh, but yeah, oh, go ahead. Just go ahead. Well, Let's talk uh, about it a little more. I, I don't know that we necessarily hit this one because we got a couple of questions that were fairly similar. And he was basically asking, okay. how do you yeah, handle true. how do you handle hills and odd shaped roads and those types of things uh, where it's not ideal? I mean, obviously, if it's big, square, and flat, it's simple in strip till. But how do you handle right. all the odd shaped and uneven fields? The same way you handle planting them, it stinks. So you just take more time, and you're crisscrossing a little bit more. You have point rows. That's just the way it goes. So, yeah, there there is no perfect answer. You might end up even getting a little more fertility on in those spots because I don't really know how you exactly shut it off. You know, with a planter, they have individual row shutoffs now. Well, we don't have that with strip-till machines, and maybe they will at some point. Not a big deal because usually you're just putting down P and K. You're not putting down ridiculously high rates or anything like that. But, yeah, you just have to back up into the corners and kind of go from there. And as far as the erosion down the hills, it happens. But, you know, if you, you are minimizing that because it's strip till. But every once in a while, these, uh, these strips that you've made, they, they can lead to a little bit more erosion right in those spots. The big thing I tell people is, do your strip till as late in the fall as possible. If it's close to freeze up, 
well, now you're going to be a lot safer. Yeah, I've also had some guys, Brian, that, that say they wait and do those particular fields in the spring. They'll do uh, the flatter fields or where they're not as worried about it in the fall. And then if they, they generally don't get everything done in the fall anyway because strip-till does take some time, they'll just wait until spring and then just immediately plant into it to try to reduce the window of time that you've got uh, exposure to any types of erosion. Yeah, lots of little right. things like that, Adam, with, with strip-tillage and uh, really good to find guys in your area if you can just to see okay what are some ideas you've got uh, because I think it's something that nobody like you say Brian nobody's a hundred percent figured out how to be perfect all the time and I don't know if you ever can uh, but there are certainly some guys doing some different strategies to try to reduce any potential risks that they've got all right, uh, got to get some a com- couple comments that Mark had here, uh, and this one was actually comments on a YouTube video that we had, and we were talking about reducing lodging in wheat, and he said decreasing the seeding rate for that variety and applying a growth regular yep. like, regulator like Palisade are my strategies. What about fertility? Do you do yep. anything different there? Well, you just make sure you've got lots of potassium. I mean, you want to have if you wanted to minimize lodging, then you want to have 6 or 7% base saturation K. You have really high levels of potassium, you're going to have thicker, stronger stalks. And after that, you've got to look at manganese and copper. Those are two other big keys to stalk strength. Yeah, those nutrients are really important, and I think what happens sometimes is we get out of balance with nitrogen, where guys are really pushing for yield, and they're putting way more nitrogen on than they need. Now we've got a nitrogen to potassium, especially imbalance, uh, that can that can kind of mess things up. So, yeah, not getting crazy carried away on the nitrogen, uh, and then just making sure that K is significantly higher than what you would think. For example, we like to get that base saturation K now. We're striving on many of our fields to be up to 6% base saturation K. Uh, That makes a big difference for us. We see a lot better stock strength and a lot less lodging issues. Hey, Mark, thanks for the comments, and and thanks for checking us out. Really appreciate that. I I got one from GJ. He said, I got a furrow irrigation question for you guys. Uh, We're raising pumpkins and wondering where we should apply our P and K. With furrow irrigation, we're normally planting at two-thirds from the top of the furrow, uh, and the water flows down the middle. Uh, I've got an idea to spread out the fertilizer in a row, and it uses a plow to make my furrow, but I'm not quite sure if that's the best place to put my fertilizer as there's not as much moisture on the side of the furrow as in the center or maybe the second option of putting the fertilizer right in the middle of my furrow about two inches deep where there is a lot of moisture might work better Uh, my only concern would be that it could be too far away from my crop to use it my furrow is normally 14 inches wide and eight inches deep where would you put your pnk i would put my pnk where my roots can get it but you don't want to get too terribly close So if it's very light soil and I was putting on ridiculously high rates two inches away, that might be a little too close. Yep, I agree. I'd like to be as close as I can, but I I do like to have a little cushion in there where I've got a few inches of soil in between my fertility and where I'm planting my crop just to be on the safe side. Hey, thanks, GJ. Really appreciate the question. Uh, If you got any follow-up questions on that, please let us know. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. We really had fun talking about soybean insects, and we're concerned about them being a big problem this year, so make sure you're keeping up on your scouting. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.